Turn with me to Romans 15. I want to say a few things. Spending 10 days out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I've been out there a couple times since I graduated high school in 94, but this is certainly the longest I'd ever spent out there, and certainly uh, as a full-time minister in the ministry for a long time, it does do something. I'm mindful everywhere I go of what of, of, of uh, locking in on the spiritual principality in a region, locating where the church is at. No matter where I go, I'm usually in a church of some form or fashion, and I see what God's doing there. Every church is different. Every regional church has its battles. And so the Spirit of the Lord's ministering to each church differently from the Word of God, depending on what they're facing. You see that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with those micro epistles to the seven churches, the apocalypse. So being out in Seattle for 10 days and being in churches and among saints, you certainly begin to recognize where you come from. Like I talk about, you can't smell your own home until you pack all your clothes in your home and then you take it on an airplane or your car ride, you get to your hotel or whoever's house you're staying in, you open it up, you can smell your house. So you don't realize what your church or your region smells like till you go to another church in another region and you open up your Bible and like, man, I come from a religious region. Good gravy, it is thick as molasses back home and out here it's just Autobahn. Do two, go as fast as your little Prius can carry you or your Chevy truck or whatever you drive. Go as fast as you can because there's no potholes and no speed limit and, and uh, nobody cares. And so you go out to Seattle, you realize what a total lack of religion feels like and what it helps a church accomplish. But that's not to say churches in the Northwest don't have their own issues. Pastor Matt and I were talking about regional struggles and and, and he was asking me what we deal with here, and I was telling him the religion and how it bogs us down, gets us in ditches. I told the church out there, I said, I think I've pastored really 60 years now. If you were to take the amount of time I spend running from one ditch to the other, helping you guys not ruin your life, if you were to take that lineage waste of my life and stretch it out, I think pastoring in the upper Cumberland is like four to one. It's like dog ears. And so now that I'm coming up on 15 years, it's all of it's in the Upper Cumberland. That's the equivalent of 60 years someplace free. So uh, I told him, our issue is religion. And he said, what's that like? And I said, it's, it's you say one thing, and half the congregation goes into that ditch without catching the heart. The other half avoids it, goes the other direction. And at any given moment, I have half the church in one ditch or another, taking what I said out of context, failing to catch the heart of it, and ruining their life by what I said, which was good. That's what the spirit of religion does to us. And we know that. I, I warn you of that. And we need to be mindful of it. I told AJ today, because we were talking about this, I said, I've come to the conclusion, as much as I may be misconstrued and my sermons misunderstood, uh, I said, nobody's been more taken out of context than Jesus Christ Amen. to the point where his own believers kill each other over it. So... If they took Jesus out of context and we have his words in writing and the Holy Ghost interpreting, I don't really care what you guys do with my sermons. That's on you, not me. So that's our pitfall that we deal with here, trying to beat Church of Christ religiosity. I love the Church of Christ, but they're pretty religious, man. Even the good Church of Christ, they're called the black sheep among the Church of Christ. And I'm done being polite about it. They need Jesus. Half of them aren't even saved, and they tell us we're going to hell because we believe in the rapture and we believe in drums. They're hypocrites because they don't believe in drums, so they go to the car, then they crank up their skinner. Now they believe in drums. That's called hypocrisy. Anyway. So he was telling me about a, a, 
one of his disciples who was serving at a church in another part of the country, he said their region was so eat up with sexual sin that their church was just full of fornicators. Everybody slept with everybody. And he coming from Seattle as a disciple to go serve at this other church, he, he was a single man in his 20s. He was dropping off a young lady from the youth, uh, not the youth group, from uh, the ministry. And uh, he was giving her a ride home there in ministry together. She said, so uh, you want to come in and have sex or something? Spirit-filled church, by the way. And he said, what? She said, yeah, it's no big deal. Just come on in. Because that was their culture and their battles. So in Seattle, you have your own issues. He said, uh, Pastor Matt was telling me, he said, a lot of his guys, because he has a lot of men, and a lot of them are first-generation Christians. We here in the South, we're dealing with fourth and fifth-generation believers. I would say, I wouldn't be able to speak for Pastor Matt, but I'd say probably, what do you think, honey, 70, 80% of his church is first-generation Christians, converted, maybe 90%. Like, they're the first people to be saved in their whole family. He said, a lot of my men struggle with marijuana. Because they come from it, and it's legal out there, and nobody thinks anything of it. And so everybody's got their issues and their struggles. So what I want to address us tonight is that I'm preaching to every one of you because you're in my church, and we have got to punch through this religious thing. And you need to know that, that when you go about your day-to-day -day affairs in this region, you're moving among a religious spirit. Seattle also, of course, is very, very gay. Uh, they say that they're not sure. Seattle may have surpassed San Francisco as the highest gay per capita. And it's super, super gay. I mean, gay, 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 gay. Yeah, you can't just say how gay it is because it's super gay. And gay is demonic. And lesbianism is demonic. And bisexuality is demonic confused. And transgenderism, I feel I have so much compassion for transgender people because no matter how much money they drop in cutting off parts and doping themselves up on synthetic hormones, they'll never be what the demon's trying to make them be. But as demonic as LGBTQQAIP2S is, 2S plus now, um, the homosexual devil isn't what killed Jesus. It was the religious spirit. And that's what we deal with here is religiosity. They were homosexuals in Jesus' day. It was the Roman Empire. Nobody had quite mastered the homosexual orgy quite like the Romans. And they would burn Christians alive to illuminate their orgies. And so there were plenty of gays in the time of Christ. But the gays didn't kill Jesus. Religion did. And that is the principality of our region. If you come to prayer on Wednesdays, and if you're a stay-at-home mom, I think you should because you've got nothing else to do. Bring your kids. I don't care if they cry or tear things up. You'll know that we pray against the spirit of religion every Wednesday because it's the principality, and every church should be doing something rather than selling hopium. If all you ever do is distribute methahope or hopium, uh, you're basically going to have Cub Scouts in your church. Every church is called to take ground and to be a spiritual voice of influence. If you preach the gospel, it's instant hope. So we pray against it, but you need to know that as you go out there and there, it's going to make you religious. It's going to suffocate you and get you into one ditch or the other. So not only do we have religion, we have Southern culture, which has been shaped by religion for the last 150 years. Really, Southern culture developed after the Civil War. So what we know as Southern culture is uh, only about 160 years old or so. 
So let me touch a few things. I'm going to call this sermon The Curse of Cultural Expectations because you're Southerners. I know we have Nigerians here and we have some Latinos here. We have other cultures, but if you're living here long enough, this junk will rub off on you. Being out in Seattle for 10 days, I felt gay rubbing off on me constantly. You feel it trying to talk to you. You can feel that in Seattle, gay is popular, gay is cool, gay is trendy, and if you're going to be cool, you got to put one of those flags up. I could feel that spirit out there ministering to me, and it knows full well I'm a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, non-gay, heterosexual, happily married man. But it doesn't stop talking. You can feel it. Religion does the same thing to you here, except it knows how to talk your jive. And we have to recognize it and resist it. Now, the simplicity, the simple solution is this, and this is where you're going to all be indicted. Have a walk with God, and religion won't touch you. But if you don't have a close walk with God, you're going to be bumped into religion very easily. Now, by walk with God, I mean you daily pray, read your Bible, and then go to church when service is in session. All the services we have, we have by mandate of God, which means if you're called to this church, your rear end ought to be here. Now, I know we have 14 prayer services a week. You're not supposed to be at all of those. They're not designed for all of you. But regular services, if you're called here, they're mandated by God. We haven't changed service times or numbers in 40 years. Next year will be 40 years of this church existing. So I want to know why you're so unfaithful to Jesus Christ. You religious nut job. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And when you skip every other week... You're a spiritual whore. You're an adulterer. You're unfaithful to Christ. And James 4 condemns that. He says, you adulterous generation. Don't you know friendship with the world makes you God's enemy? James was talking to the Jerusalem church. He wasn't talking to pagans. He was talking to religious people. So I don't get why Christians can't remember how to get to the house of God. So part of having a walk with Jesus is you know where your docking station is and you stay charged. Our southern religious culture has a set of expectations and that religiosity wants to just keep dumbing you down. And it, it's almost like the, the road of life, especially in a religious region, has a very steep crown. And if you don't keep your hand on that steering wheel daily walking with Jesus, daily reminding yourself, your car, even if your alignment is straight your car will naturally drift to one ditch or the other. We've taught this concept over and over and over again for 15 years. This region and our southern culture has a bunch of slack-jawed religious expectations, and we're raised in it. And some of it is good, and a lot of it is not. I do not defend culture, and I think you're a moron if you think me attacking your culture makes me racist. You're a moron. (laughs) I will attack any culture I deem to be demonic from the Word of God, and every culture has some color attached to it. But not all colors share the same culture, so it can't be racist. It has to be culturalist, which is a real term that went extinct in the 19th century. 
God's kingdom, of course, has another set of expectations. And so what we have to do is find the expectation of God and try to become as kingdom-minded as possible and say, you know, I'm glad I was raised in the South or I was raised in the Northwest or I was raised in New York, but you know what? God's kingdom is bigger and better. And there are certain aspects of our culture that are totally neutral and God doesn't care. But if it starts to ruin you as a Christian, divorce it with extreme prejudice, burn it to hell, dust your feet off, don't ever look back and don't ever think you should defend it. Every culture has wicked stuff in it. So let's talk about Southern expectations. Let us beat the fire out of us Southerners. Amen. It's pretty easy to do. If you walk with God, you can go anywhere for half a day and realize this is a messed up group of people. Anywhere in the world. (laughs) So we Southerners, we're supposed to be polite. Even if it's disingenuous. So by that very first reputation we have as Southerners, we're dealing with religion because it's a facade. We're polite, even if we're disingenuous. Amen. This is why we also like Yankees, because they don't play that junk. They'll just tell you, no, that's stupid. You want to go out to eat with tonight? No. Why not? I don't like you. (laughs) Southerner would lie to your face and make all sorts of lame Well, we'd love to. No, you wouldn't. You're a liar. But you know we're busy. No, you're not. You're a liar. Let's reschedule. You don't want to do that. You're a liar. In less than 30 seconds, you've lied three times, bought a place for you in the eternal lake of fire, and you're called polite, and you made mama smile. In that regard, Yankees are way more straight and and, and truthful than Southern Christians. Oh, we really love to. No, you wouldn't. In your heart, you're going, I don't want to go over there. I'd rather do nothing than have dinner with you. I'd rather go hungry. Oh, but we got to put on that facade. Southern culture expectations says we ought to be well-dressed, even if our heart is ugly. Now dress up in your three-piece suit and be a lawyer or a politician. We're all for dressing as nice as you want to dress and wear your best, but what if your heart's ugly? Does it even matter? How, how, how nice does the mafia dress? Yeah. How nice uh, do corrupt dictators dress? Like I said, our friend out in Seattle, ACDC shirt to church, but brought a busload of kids with them to get born again. Which do you think God cares about? We're to be refined, even if we're vile beneath the surface. All of our etiquette and our manners and our mores, and and yeah, that's all religion if there's no genuine heart behind it. These are cultural expectations. We're expected to attend church, even if we never live it in private. Even if we never live it in private. And so the problem with Southern expectations is that basically it's the recipe for whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed tombstones, beautiful in public, but our home lives are full of dead men's bones. We come to church all prim and proper and Southern and polite and pretty and then treat our family like trash. Oh, man. Yeah, and see, then we... 
when we come to church like that, we don't help the atmosphere. We're, we're dragging that religious carcass here, trying to offer it as worship. And what we did is just bring more religious back with us. And it would, it would benefit us so much more if we would just be honest with God and honest with one another. Quit tiptoeing. Maybe if you'd quit tiptoeing and have some honesty in your homes and in your marriages and none of this southern polite junk. Not rude. Uh, honest doesn't mean rude. Honest just means honest. Did you like dinner? No, I didn't. It's horrible. I love you. I did not like what you made, though. Are we, are we out of ranch? Shall we go for Taco Bell? Do we have anything in the freezer? Let's just do cereal. Cereal works. That'll get us through the next meal. If we could just be honest. And, and this, to be in Seattle, to be, be able to travel the world and be able to be straight with people. There's such liberty in that. That liberty naturally clears up an atmosphere to worship God. Because when your entire culture is a facade, how will you come into the presence of God but with a facade? You won't even be able to be honest with God because you don't know how to be. You've not exercised your heart with honesty. You've exercised your heart with dishonesty and polite facades. So you've never been able to be honest with God in private and say, Lord, I hate my husband. Lord, he gets on my nerves. Lord, I hate my wife. Lord, we got married. We had a covenant. She'd never put on 100 pounds. She's put on 140, and this is bugging me. You can't even be honest with that, huh? Listen, no man marries a woman hoping she puts on 150 pounds. Let me also ask, though, why do American women lose 40 pounds to get married? And then as soon as they get out of that wedding dress, it'll never fit again. You demonstrated you had the self-discipline. Now, I don't care what you look like. Just be happy. Please your spouse, men and women. You know, some of you guys, your wife doesn't want you to, like, produce 900 gigawatts of power because you're that fat and hot. I mean, you're not supposed to be the electric blanket in August. Huh. But can you at least be honest with God and say, Lord, I, my marriage is irritating me. Lord, I'm terrified. What my, my, are my kids going to go anywhere? What's, what's going to come of this? Can we even be honest with God? Are we still just so superficially false and such a shallow walk that the only time we're actually ever honest is when we pray in tongues? And even then, it may be the Holy Ghost going, I wish they'd be honest. 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 Can you be honest in your relationships? Can you be forthright? It's good to be around people so you can learn it's not painful to shoot each other straight. But if, if we just keep living this religious facade in private in our marriages, we're going to bring that to church, and I won't be able to pump this well clean enough to get it out because you're going to keep dragging it back. You're going to drag your dysfunctional marriage back, and I won't be able to purge that well for you. You're going to drag your dysfunctional relationships back, your dishonest, your facade uh, relationships. I won't be able to purge it. You have to be able to be honest, even with Lord. Lord, I hate my job. Lord, I, I, don't, I hate the way I look. Just be honest with God instead of acting like everything's okay because it's not okay. You've got to be able to be honest with God across the board. Lord, 
I don't like this job. Lord, have I ruined my life? Lord, what is wrong with me? Lord, I don't like this church. Lord, could I go to a different church? Lord, why do I got to stay in Cookville? Be honest. Instead of coming to church with your cheesy smirk, your religious smile, your fake confession, shaking your head saying, bless God, I'm a world overcomer. It's, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. You're a fraud. I would rather you cuss. Don't. But I would rather you cuss if you were expressing how messed up things were and you just wanted better. Pastor, I don't know how else to say it, but my life is a mess. It just feels like blank. I've had a lot of folks cuss. It probably a month doesn't go by somebody's not cussing in my office. And I usually give them a minute or two to do it, and that's all right, that's enough. I don't want to hear anymore. You get it off your chest, you feel better, better out than in. Let's wipe your mouth. Thank you for being honest. Now we can get you some help. But the problem is our southern culture has taught us to be frauds because mother was terrified of how people thought about her. And that crap gets passed to the next generation. So you know this verse in Titus. All the Cretans, the prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That prophet said that 400 years prior to Paul quoting him. So talk about a cultural inheritance. 400 years later, that's what they're still known for. 200 years later, we Southerners are still known for it, being frauds. Real polite, offer you some sweet tea, but wish you'd hurry up and get out of our house. We'll have you over, but before you come over, me and my husband will need to kill each other trying to get the house all cleaned up and the dinner cooked for you can come over and get some fixings. We're going to stab each other that tater fork and the cutting knife. But as soon as we see the first set of headlights in our driveway, we have the most beautiful marriage. <laughs> Go to bed, separate bedrooms, because you're frauds. That's the effect of religion. Amen. And you'll pass that down to your children and your grandchildren. Unless they get delivered, and then they won't want to be around you, and you'll get to die alone. Because why would we bring our grandkids around you? I don't want them to catch it. I finally got it off me. Why would I want you on them? We don't believe in this isn't genes. We don't want it to skip a generation. We want it to go to hell. Amen. So uh, this defines our southern culture as really whitewashed sepulchers. Beautiful public. But at home, our lives are full of dead men's just dead men's bones. Can you be honest with people around you and just shoot them straight? Are you afraid of what people think of you? Because you need to be delivered from that fear. What do you care what people think? Don't aim to hurt people's feelings, but be able to be forthright with them. It takes practice. When in preaching out in Seattle, the Lord had given me the message for Pastor Matt's church, and I was going to teach on the seven or eight allegories of the New Testament church, and it's two services. 50 minutes at most for this first service to preach, and then I could go as long as I needed to in the second service, generally speaking. And so what I was going to do is break it in half, cover three in one service and three in the next and kind of have a bonus. So because the, the heart of the subject was the same no matter what allegory. So that was my plan. I'd been preparing it, had my notes ready. So Pastor Matt said, you got your sermon ready? I said, yeah, yeah, I got it ready. I said, he said, what are you going to preach on? I said, no, I'm going to teach on this, and I'm going to do three in one service and three in the next. And Pastor Matt whipped around and said, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, I don't want you to do it. 
I said, well, no. He said, no. He said, teach all seven, both services. I said, well, <laughs> the heart behind every allegory is the same. It'll, he said, no, don't do it. I need both my services on the same page. You teach seven the first, you teach the same seven the second. <laughs> all right, okay. In my heart, I'm going, all right, Lord, you got to anoint me because that's a lot to cover because in my church, that would be seven months of teaching and you want me to rip through this in 50 minutes. In my heart, I just felt like Ginger Wilder. If the pastor wants me to do it, I'm going to have to be able to do it. All right. But Matt didn't care. He's not a Southerner worried about my feelings. He wants what he wants because he knows what he wants and he knows where church needs to be. So he, said, he whips around in the front seat and says, no, preach all seven, both services. I need my church on the same page. All right. All right. He said, okay. I said, okay. Yeah. I'm not a Southerner. I can handle straight talk. I'm not going to be what I hate the most about my people. Tender and, and sissified and hurt feelings and dishonest. I won't be that. Amen. Amen. So how about kingdom expectations? Now that we know what our southern lie is all about. I mean, could you husbands act, or wives, can you be honest with your husband? Or is he such a caveman you're afraid to tell him the truth? So you raise your kid in a house of lies. Can you husbands shoot your wives straight? Say, honey, I don't like the way that looks. Please don't wear that again. Can you, the wife, tell her husband that? Honey, don't wear that. That shirt embarrasses me. <laughs> and have a good reason. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There have been times my wife will say, don't wear that. It's embarrassing. I'll say, I don't care. And sometimes I'll say, I'm from Seattle. I don't care. <laughs> I have accused her of hiding stuff sometimes. I usually find it couple years later. I just found my long lost pair of Liberty overalls. I hadn't been able to find them since the kids wing remodel eight years ago. Those are my favorite overalls. They're my only overalls. And I found them hanging up among her power suits. She, you know, that used to be trendy. I don't know why she saves them. Nobody wears them anymore. Everybody wears like these jeggings and these maxi dresses or whatever. I don't know what to call it. So I found my Liberty overalls hanging up all nice and neat and pressed in her part of the wardrobe, which I feel like they're Seattle overalls now, cross-dressing up in there among the... <laughs> the kingdom expects you to adapt to the mode at hand. And the kingdom's full of a lot of different modes, where Southerners is kind of a one-hit wonder. It's always a polite facade. There's this, there's this concept in the kingdom that we're not really good at here yet, and I got to get us there that if it's prayer time, the kingdom's culture says, pray with all your might. Now, I observe this because I come in and I sit in the back and stand in the back. I observe that a lot of our folks like to pray. A lot of our men don't. So you're here early enough to pray, but you'd rather sit in the hallway and talk or let your kids go to the bathroom 15 times. But if, if we've called to prayer and you're not serving somewhere, not helping someone in from the parking lot, why are you in the foyer talking about something stupid? Service begins with corporate prayer, and it'll change your life to be faithful to every corporate prayer. Just think about the person who's been to every, excuse me, pre-service prayer. Think about the person that's come to 90% of every pre-service prayer for a year and the person that's never been to a one. Well, there'll be a spiritual difference by the end of the year. Absolutely. So then what's your excuse? Well, I'd just rather stand in the hall and talk, you know, shop. Okay, but it's not shop talking time, ding-a-ling. 
It's prayer time. So the kingdom's cultural expectation is if it's a time to pray, you pray with all your might. Put your phone on vibrator, silence. Leave it in your seat. Come down to the altar if you're given to distractions. And in this church, most of, I shouldn't say most, in this church, our men are allergic to prayer. You'd rather serve on security or in the hallway, but I notice our men are allergic to prayer. And I don't know what it is. is are you afraid that if you get still in prayer, God's going to speak to you? I would, I would to God our men would lead by example and lead in prayer. Don't call yourself a man. Just because you have testicles and chest hair doesn't make you a man. Trannies have that now. Haven't you heard the latest? We can make a man out of a chick. So don't impress me with your born DNA. No, men lead by example. The kingdom also tells us when it's worship time, you worship with all of your might. And you sing with all of your heart, even if it's pitchy. Even if it's flat, you lift your hands and you sing with all your heart. And we've got to get back to a liberty in here where we're, we feel free to clap and shout if we want to. And we don't care if sister uptight, <laughs> sister bunch of panties, <laughs> whose marriage is a third world hellhole, if she gets upset because we scream. You might cast that devil out of her. The one she inherited from mama. Yeah, we got to get that liberty back because we're dragging in the carcass of the South back into church and I can only wash it away so fast. And really what it comes back to is we're not doing what we're taught every service and you're still expecting me to do too much of the heavy lifting. And my office as a pastor, that pastoral office can do a lot of lifting, but it would be so much easier if you'd get your butt in the seat and row that oar instead of having a party in the back of the boat. Amen. If it's time to row, row. Amen. Amen. It also says when it's time to serve or help, then you serve with all of your might. And you don't confuse worship time with prayer time with service time. Some of you men, you'll skip prayer or worship to go stand in the stupid hallway to talk about the next building project. You're a moron. Because if you didn't know, the Holy Ghost is in here. And he might speak to you and give you a blueprint like he did David or Moses for that building project. But you wouldn't know because you're out there talking, looking at stuff on your phone. That's religious. If it's helps time, then you serve with all of your heart. You turn off the worship, you turn off the prayer, and you serve. And See, religion wants to get in a rut. Religion wants to find its favorite mode and live there like Rayman. Yeah, de definitely, definitely, definitely. I swing a hammer. Definitely, I, I swing a hammer. I'm just a prayer warrior. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just pray. I just pray. I just pray. There's a lot more to the kingdom than your favorite mode. You got to be able to be useful in all those modes because all of our services have different aspects. Our private lives have different aspects. When you're at home cooking, you cook with all your might. When you're doing the yard, you do it with all your might. When it's time to clean the house, you clean with all your might. And when you watch a ball game, you enjoy it with all your might. Or you can be a busybody, a Martha, 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 who's she's so such a dizzy ding-dong that she, she can't even enjoy the moment she's in. She's too worried about what hasn't even happened yet. So her mind is just... And there's a time in the kingdom to sit and learn... And when that's upon you, you pay attention with all of your might. 
You resist boredom and you resist distractions and you listen to what the Holy Ghost has to say and you take notes that you know you need to go back and look at later. And if you don't do this, well, then you just come to church and you're never in the mode God is in. And if you're never in the mode God is in, you're here deceiving yourself because you're in the house of God among his people and you assume that makes you right. My wife and I, we can live in the same house and have no relationship because we're never in phase. As it is, as busy as we are, we have to tag up. We talk, we text, we flirt on the text, we'll flirt on the phone, we tag up, we, we pray every night together, you know, we'll talk about the kids, we'll talk about you guys. You know, we have times of intimacy, we go out on dates, we go out for hikes, we do stuff together, we have to tag up. But if we're never in phase, we're just roommates. So it's possible to be a part of a local church and have no walk with God. Because you're never in the mode God's in. And by the way, he rarely slows down to be with you. You always have to be with him. There are times he will come down and you'll be in your car minding your business and he'll just manifest for no reason just to love on you. But those are few and far between. And if that's what you're waiting for, you may not have any walk with God at all. So you have to make time to be with God. And then when we're in church, what's God doing right now in the service? Oh, it's offering time. Well, let me gear my heart to be a joyful giver because it's giving time. And then what happens? Well, we know because it's the same every service. Now we worship with our hands and our heart and our voice. And I'm going to do that with all of my might and focus on the worship at hand and not worry about mama or my job. Focus on God because then comes the word. And that's when the message is going to be given to me. And let me also help you with this. The reason... There's always a queue, 30 people long to see me after service. It's because you don't ever come here to hear what's being taught. You come here and your mind's a dizzy bat relay of your problem. Your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem, my problem. Can't wait to talk to pastor. Can't wait to talk to pastor. I can't wait to service. I'm going to get up there so fast and we'll talk to him about my problem. He's going to give me some wisdom, some advice. And, 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 and so you don't ever hear what the Spirit of God might be saying because your mind is just about your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem. So service is over. I've taught a Sunday school, done an offering, worshiped, taught, did a prayer line. Two people got saved and you're still hung up on your problem. And I'm exhausted. My mind is shutting down because my wife will tell you after Sunday afternoons, I go home and crash. And I can sleep for a solid three hours in between Sunday services. And now you want to come meet with me. While there's 20 other people, but you won't give me a Tuesday afternoon or a Sunday night service or a door-to-door evangelism. So you're never in the mode God is in. And that's religion. And when the whole church operates that way, or 80% of the church, or 50% of the church, you're never going to have the horsepower you need to do what needs to be done. Part of being a Christian is you grow up and walk with God for yourself, and you teach others how to do it. So it's really simple. If we're in here praying, you're in here praying. Unless you have responsibilities out there, you're helping your wife get kids, or you're taking your kids there, you're helping somebody, or you got, some of you, my wife sometimes sits in the back. She says, I don't know how anybody sits in the back people get up and pee all service long. Some of you, I wonder, I mean, are you pregnant? You can't be pregnant. You had your tubes tied, but you got to pee seven times in a service. Sometimes you get up six times. I wonder whose number keeps going off up there. Is your kid that bad? We'll get duct tape and we'll just tape them to something. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Final piece of duct tape will be across their mouth so you can sit and get something out of service. I don't get it. You can come to church 20 years and be so deceived 
thinking you're right with God and full of the Holy Ghost because the pastor is. No, you have to stay in mode with God because if you don't, you'll come here and be miserable. But one of the evidences that you are with God in phase, fulfilling his kingdom culture, is this fruit called joy. So you're in Romans 15. We should look at a verse. Verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all sorrow and scowl and sass and vinegar and church of Christ visage. (laughs) All joy and peace in what? So believing is not having believed, it's present participle. You're believing and you continue to believe. You can tell when you're in active faith because you're full of joy and peace. We all get hit. We're all going to suffer something. The devil's not going to let us live for Jesus for free. He's not going to let us preach for free. He's not going to let us have beautiful marriages for free, healthy bodies for free, or prosper for free. He's going to come against us. But if we're actively believing, we can have joy and peace in the midst of that. So when you're not actively believing, you're a scowling human being. You're baptized in pickle juice and miserable and you dum-dum, no fun fun. And, and your, your spirit man got saved, but your face hasn't gotten the notification yet. Or maybe you're like Joe Biden and you got Botox and fillers all over your face, except they just did it wrong and now you got a perma-scowl. Or like my new term is hatchet face. You just look so mean and mad. And we're going to come get you when we need firewood. Just stay there and just split wood on your face until I have enough wood quartered for the winter. <laughs> this word says, if you're actively believing God, you'll be filled with joy and peace. Joy and peace. Joy, that, ha- that happens to be fruit of the Spirit. That follows love, that Romans 5 says it's already shed abroad in your heart, so it's already been seeded. Uh, we know from good teaching that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything else proceeds out of love. So if the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, then the next natural things that should be proceeding out of you are joy and peace, and they are, they are fruit of active believing. So it may be you come to church and maybe you got a smarty pants brain and can remember all sorts of cool doctrine, but I've taught you that just because your brain knows it doesn't mean your heart lives it. So one of the key evidences that you're active and right with God is joy and peace. You can have it in your marriage. You can have it with your kids. It takes a lot of years of religious southern tradition to strip and rape you of your joy and peace. Remember, Jesus said, come with faith as a child. Children find joy in everything. They're always giggling. They're always making fun of something. The littlest thing makes them laugh. If they get half a giggle out of the stranger, it's going to egg them on. They're going to do more and more and more of it. They don't really know embarrassment. They're just full of joy. And everybody loves kids because they bring them joy. Even all that that 95-year-old miserable grandmother, she'll crack a smile at a little four-year-old because she remembers once she had joy like that too. Everybody loves kids. I have a video of my son that this happened before we show this. It's just 15 seconds. We're in Leavenworth, Washington here. This is like a Bavarian village in the, on the other side of the Cascades. So it looks like Germany, old German town. And we're in this German restaurant because you don't go to Leavenworth and not eat kielbasa and stuff. And there's polka music. There's accordion 
uh, Lederhosen music playing because there's a Lederhosen uh, accordion competition, so you can't really hear it playing, but we're eating dinner. It's at a crowded outdoor restaurant, and this is what childlike faith does when you hear a good polka. Let's play, play this real quick. Crank it up if you can, if you can hear any of it. Because then I want to compare it. That was one of several dance sessions he had. <laughs> and everybody I happened to catch eyes with was just smiling at him. And total strangers just smiling. You know, there's joy and peace. Don't care. When you have joy and peace, you don't care what strangers think. You hear a good polka, you gotta. <laughs> I got another video I can't show because he is smacking his own rear end on beat to this Mexican rap song we have. But I hadn't seen anybody dance publicly that hard since Robert Murdoch was, we were in Grand Central Station in New York City, and we found a hoedown in the basement, and they were playing moonshine jugs and upright bass and fiddling, and Robert went to buck dancing in Grand Central Station. Man, we were having a hoot nanny. How do you go from a little boy full of joy like that, because all of your kids have been like, like that, What's his next picture? Because this looks like Church of Christ Christianity. <laughs> of course, that's the famous American Gothic. They were actually from the Upper Cumberland. They're 20 years old there. <laughs> Those look like White County people or DeCab, DeCab County people. <laughs> See, there should be this joy in us. If we can maintain our joy... We can help burn off this religion. And a joy level ought to be something you can easily sense about you. Is there joy in your home? Are you happy to come home? Are you happy to flirt with your wife or you tickle each other? I don't care if you're 80 and might throw a hip out. You still tickle each other. As long as you have that like life thing that Amy has. She has to as much as Marlon chases her. And she... Amen. Galatians 5.22 says, Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at a couple verses real quick, and then I'm going to give you some symptoms of religion. I've only been teaching 45 minutes, but I think I've adjusted it so pretty good. You have to know that just like Seattle is super gay and wants everybody to be just as gay, there's a pressure to fly those flags when you're out there. It's palpable that this area is just as religious and it wants you to be religious and stuffy and look like American Gothic. No fun. No, and just me dum-dum. No fun fun. Just angry, uptight all the time. Well, I don't know. What do you want, Pastor? I come to church every service, but you're never in phase. Amen. You're not doing what God's doing when we're doing it. Your mind is somewhere else. You're, yeah, your body's here, but your heart's somewhere else. Yeah, you're on security, but you're not securing us. Yeah, you're down at the altar, but you're not worshiping. It's really simple. The kingdom culture says whatever God is doing, that's what you're doing. Everything else goes away for that moment. How else might you get the answer for your career or your body or your child or your job except but in the presence of God, focused on him, except for when the word goes forth and the Lord can minister to you because you're not obsessing over something in your mind. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 
says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So we have been a spirit-filled church for 40 years. We have ebbed and flowed out of super spooky, mystical, and stupid. I don't think Holy Ghost people are uptight. I don't think Holy Ghost people, I don't think you, let me say it this way. If you don't have joy, you're not spiritual. Do you really think Jesus Christ walked around like a Pentecostal from the Upper Cumberland? Looking like he just sucked on a lemon. There was something about him that children were drawn to. Children are drawn to joyful, outgoing, gregarious people. Joy of the Holy Ghost. The more Holy Ghost you have, the more joy you have. So in our services, in our circles, people want to brag about how spiritual they are. And I look at them and think, you're not spiritual. You're not even happy. <laughs> the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. So I don't care about your vision. I don't care about your dream. I don't care about what the Lord was telling you in the Scriptures. Because if you hadn't had a smile or joy in six months, He's probably going to start there. In my own household, I don't take attitude. My kids get up sour, adjust it, or I'll fix it for you. We don't let that attitude carry more than 30 minutes. It gets spanked. Go adjust that attitude because you're not bringing that junk in my home. The rest of us are going to be joyful and happy. My kids know that attitude is a choice, and that goes for 65-year-olds as much as it goes for 5-year-olds. Your attitude is a choice. We choose the joy of the Holy Ghost. Look at 1 Peter 1.8. I want to give you a few verses on joy, then I'm going to give you the symptoms of religion. So this is how you can tell if you have religion or not. It's almost as contagious as monkeypox. 1 Peter 1.8. They're now saying they're going to change the name of monkeypox because it's racist. This is true. I saw the article. Everything's racist. It just, I, I don't know. Everything's racist. <laughs> I, remember, I remember coming off an airplane from Africa, and something had blown up. There had been another, there was just racial tension. This had been about four or five years ago, and I was in Atlanta, probably coming back from South Africa, maybe Zimbabwe. And I could feel the palpable racial tension in Atlanta, but I, I made the mistake of going to the Qdoba in the airport where, you know, you build a burrito. And there's a black lady there, and uh, she looks at me. She says, you want white rice or brown rice? I was like, oh. I don't feel like I can win. And I was like, I really didn't want brown rice, but I felt like I should. I like white rice. It's not because I'm racist. I just I like the cilantro and the white rice, and I don't like whatever brown rice is. I said, brown rice? So then she said, pinto beans or black beans? <laughs> and she wasn't sweet. She was angry. But it's a busy day, you know. And I just felt like I couldn't win. That's when you know it's a demon, when the thing is so stupid and so retarded in your culture, you're self-conscious. I just came from giving two weeks of my life to Africa, and I'm worried about being misconstrued as a racist because I can't order white rice or pinto beans because they're not black enough. Or if I do order, are you, well, you, you pandering to me now? 
So, oh, so now you want to be black because you want brown rice and black beads. So you can't win because it's a demon. It's a retarded demon, and anybody that flies their flag in that wind is retarded as well. Give me white rice, give me black beans because I like the way they taste. Good Lord. 1 Peter 1.8. Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with a scowl on your face and hateful words for your wife. Oh, I mean, that's not the fruit of believing? Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So you mean believing produces this internal engine of joy, 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 joy. Oh, I believe, therefore I'm joyful. You can have joy in a POW camp. You can have joy in a Christian concentration camp. You can have joy in a church of Christ if you have God. You can have joy in a dead church selling hopium. You can have joy if you have Jesus. You can have joy on a miserable job. You can have joy going through a divorce. You can have joy fighting cancer because you have Jesus. But if you don't have Jesus, you can never fake joy. And you can't tell me how spiritual you are if you don't have any joy or peace in believing. Amen. Isaiah 12, last verse, and then I'm going to read you a little punch list of symptoms of religion. Isaiah 12, short passage in Isaiah Verse 2, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with a scowl on my face and hateful words, but a pretty southern facade, serving mint juleps and sweet tea, I draw water out of the wells like Granny did. Granny's probably in hell. I, with joy. Why? Because the Lord jo- Jehovah, he's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation because he's my strength. He's my, that means you sing, idiot. You should. All of you have smartphones. Put a praise list on there so that when you start acting like a cookful Christian, you can put something on there to adjust your attitude and get sweet. Whatever your jive is, whatever your flavor of, not worship, praise, upbeat, excitement, joy, something that blows the soot out of your engine, makes you forget about all the dumb decisions that have brought you up to that moment. He's my song. That means you actually sing. You should build like an emergency praise list on your phone for when you're going through hell or acting like your mother. Amen. Amen. And you can play that and say, like one of my favorites is the old black Pentecostal when you call on Jesus. Yeah, mama should do that some more. And maybe so should we. Put something on there that wets your whistle and makes you want to sing and dance and you'll blow all that sour attitude out. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation, which means you can't do it any other way. There's no other verse that tells us how to get those life-giving waters we need out of the well of salvation but joy. So those that are sourpussed, those that are scowling, those that are hopeless, those that are mean as a snake and ugly as a monkey, they're not going to ever be able to draw anything out of their salvation. you got to be able to draw out on a regular basis. Amen. So let me give you symptoms of religion. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Stuffy. Religious people are stuffy. 
they're afraid to enjoy life. They're stuffy. They're defined by fear. Mama taught them that lie from hell. To worship what other people think. It might do some of you good sometime if they're in this line at Kroger and they're playing some little ditty. Maybe shake your bum bum like Bud Bud did. And just to do it, you might get set free. Amen. It's dancing. You know, biblical is dancing, right? Uh, dancing is a biblical thing. Uh, yeah. Maybe you ought to do something just to break yourself of what people think. Because the opinion of mankind is a tremendous idol that paralyzes people, makes them religious. Amen. It might be fun to be somewhere and just give out a good old, woo, just to do it. Somebody might look at you and go, yeah. Would you be arrested for it? No. Would anybody really care? No. So then why wouldn't you do it? Fear. Now, I don't want us to be known as the wooing church, you know. <laughs> My point is do something that helps you begin to break up what people think about you in public. Don't get arrested. Don't be dishonorable. But why are you worried about what people think? You're never going to see them again. Even in Cookville, half the people you see, you never see them again. Yeah. So stuffy. And we, to that, we might add number two, uptight. They're so uptight. They're worried about every little thing. And as much as I say this, I already feel the draw to have to balance it and say, it's okay to want your house nice when you have guests. That's called hospitality and hosting. And, and you know, you don't want a booger hanging out of your nose, flapping like some trapdoor spider, you know? And... Guys, you should take care of your ear hair. There's no reason to look like a granddaddy long legs is climbing out of your ear canal. And wives, that's your job. You have no other job in your husband's life but to make sure his ear hair stays manageable. <laughs> so all that aside, uh, religious folks are uptight. They're afraid to have fun because it might upset Jesus if you act like a child. So let's not be that way. Find something you enjoy doing and, and then enjoy doing it. And everybody's got a different vibe. Some people like to cross-stitch. Some people like crossbows. Some people like bows in their hair. Some people like bow hunting. Some people like car hunting. Likes when you hunt animals with your car. <laughs> if I meant hunting for a car, I'd said car shopping. I didn't. I said car hunting. That's when you swerve to hit animals. Like if you're dumb enough to be in the road, this is four by four, baby. We're going to smear you. Everybody's a little bit different, but you ought to be at liberty to enjoy what God gave you to enjoy. Other symptoms of religion are obsessed with formalities. You're just obsessed. You read these symptoms, and you see people that therapists would have a heyday with. People so uptight, so stuffy, can't even smile, can't even have fun. You know, can't even have fun in your own marriage. I would like to tell stories about stuff my family does, but you guys would be too uncomfortable about the innocence of my children passing gas in the bathtub.
and they think it's the funniest thing in the world, and so do I. We made a word for it seven years ago. It's called Blarby. And it's all fun and games till one of them launches a torpedo with that Blarby. And it all brings great joy to my home, and God likes it that way. And some of you are uncomfortable that I'm talking about launching chocolate torpedoes in the midst of a Blarby. But when you have kids, you get this, and it is a hoot in your home, especially when one of the kids comes out of that bathroom ringing wet, buck naked, screaming, going, they pooped in the tub, they pooped in the tub. And Amy has to say, Marlon, why did you do that again? <laughs> Religion brings fear. We should move on before somebody's head ruptures. <laughs> fear. Religion brings a constant fear. All this is really def are, are symptoms of fear. And remember, perfect love casts out fear. But love also produces joy and peace. So you lack joy, you lack peace, you're full of fear, you're not in phase with Christ. Amen. This walk with God frees us up to enjoy things. Yeah. We're free to laugh, we're free to joke clean, yeah. we're free to giggle, we're free to have fun. <laughs> you're, free, you're free to find humor in things that are funny. God has a sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> this fear is a fear that ultimately suffocates everything, especially in religious regions, and you're afraid to enjoy anything at all. When 1 Timothy tells us that he's given us all things freely to enjoy. So it's a commandment to be able to enjoy life. Now we know sin is excluded, but enjoy your kids, enjoy your hobbies, enjoy driving your new car, enjoy your new home, enjoy your new flat panel, watch a game on it, enjoy cooking on your new grill, Enjoy going fishing. Enjoy, enjoy your thing. Don't get into sin with it, but enjoy it. There's that fa fear to fail. If you hadn't noticed by now, you're going to fail in life. It's part of getting better, so have fun doing it. Amen. All right, man, I'm going to go big on this so big, and we'll fail, and we'll fail big, but we'll fail with a big heart. <laughs> yeah, you learn quick when you're not afraid. Number five or six, symptoms of religion are legalism and ditches. It's the legalism puts you in one ditch or the other. And the thing I've learned pastoring now is sometimes we develop favorite ditches. We don't want to come out of them. We'll even use the preacher's own sermons against him. Pastor, you said, seriously, man, you, you took that one sermon. Why is that the one sermon you live your life by? That's religion. You said in that sermon, you know, November 15th, 2008, you said in that sermon, all right, I preach like 400 services a year. And you remember that. You haven't heard anything else I said. That's religion. Finding a ditch. Religion will always help you discover your favorite ditch. And the final thing, we could make a list of 100 or just five, but the final thing is religion will cause you to make people into your own image. You'll want people to be like you, which is why folks get upset at the preacher. I don't like the way he said that. Well, how would you say it? Well, I, I said it like this. See, you just want me to be like you. And you say, I have the spirit of control. 
I'm not trying to make you like me. I'm trying to make you like Christ. I do have permission to say, follow me as I follow the Lord. But at some point, I should be able to sling you further into Christ. Why does he got to talk about Blar being in the tub? Because it's funny. And you've all done it. And unless you were a Church of Christ woman, 190 years old, you laughed when you did it. Even if you were alone, you went, uh-huh. hmm. Can't even laugh at that. Because mother wouldn't. She's going to hell, all right? Mother's going to hell. Let's move on beyond her. When you can't be provoked to joy, you don't want any. Even the world knows what joy looks like, and that's why they want to be around real Christians, because they see that joy. If we're going to walk with Jesus Christ, there ought to be changes in our life. We ought to look different than the world, have a joy about us. And if we can be mindful that this region is just as religious as San Francisco is gay, then we can lean against it and come to every service prayed up, studied up, ready to receive from whatever God has to say. We can cover more ground and accomplish more. But when every service is spent bailing water out of your life because you drilled another hole in your boat and didn't bother to bring a bucket with you, we're not going to go very far. The boat's riding too low on the water. But there's other folks that want in this boat too. So you got to either make room for them or help them get in yourself. But if you can't beat this religious thing, I, I don't know what to tell you. Prepare for your replacement to come. Because there are folks that want God more than you want your religion. But you've got to make sure your heart wants God. Otherwise, this is, we're just going to be another church that this region successfully snuffs out. Now, I don't know if you realize this. Some of you are old-timers. You've been here since the 80s. I don't know of more than... One, two, three, four. I maybe know of five churches in the region that still operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Miss Chris, you're around a lot. Would you agree with that? Is five a high number? Maybe four? Rick, you're in churches and doing funerals. Now think, there used to be way more than that in the 90s. Big ones. That's proof that religion is winning, the spirit. Because when you had churches of God and assemblies of God and non-denominationals and, and spirit-filled works and Baptist works that were getting in the Holy Ghost, and now you're down to maybe four or five churches that regularly will pray in the spirit, allow room for prophecy, lay hands on the sick, be able to have an anointing that manifests the devil and then cast it out. When you're down to four or five, and how many hundreds of churches do you think there are between Kentucky and Alabama, Alexandria and Crab Orchard? How many hundreds of churches do you think there are? Now, there's going to be some churches that I don't know of because I don't know everybody. But I think you see the statistic proves that even in Cookful, the spirit-filled works are extinguishing because religion is winning. So what I need you guys to do is bail water. Plug your holes. Quit taking on water. Get right with Christ. When you come to church and we're praying, you pray. If we're worshiping, you worship. If we're serving, you serve. Like The worst thing you can do is you're supposed to be serving and now you want to go spooky. No, spooky time is spooky time. Service time is service time. If you have a word from the Lord... You're subject to it. Or it's subject to you. You don't have to stop your Christian service to go spooky. 
I'm all for prophecy. But look, don't stop in the middle of your serving cookies and snacks to the kids to prophesy over somebody who doesn't even know you. You're weird. We've taught that for years. If we're going door to door, go door to door. If we have corporate prayer Friday, come to corporate prayer. This is pretty simple to me. We have to beat religion. If we know that that's what we're fighting here, let's fight it and not be duped. Amen?